unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 18. Give me the amplified version of that. He says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Somebody say amen. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though he says your sins are as scarlet. Now he's saying it doesn't matter how, but if your sin is as red as the deepest red, even dyed in a cloth. He says, they shall be as white as snow. And he says, though they are red like crimson, he says, they shall be like wool. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. I feel in my heart that the church of Jesus Christ over the years is grasping finally the message of the New Testament. And much as I cannot say that all of us are there yet, but I believe that the church every other day is awakening to the reality of God and his dealing with sin. Why it was important for God to deal with sin. You might ask yourself, why was God passionate about dealing with sin? when he wanted to restore the fallen nature to himself, why did he invest too much time and his own life to deal with sin? God could have saved the world by simply saying, sin out of the world, and sin would leave the world, isn't it? But the Bible says he came in form and in likeness of a servant and a man. And the Bible says, and he took on everything that a man would take on. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the Bible says, and the chastisement of our peace was what? Was upon him. And he says, by his stripes, we were healed. Why did he have to come in the body to bear your transgressions? To bear your iniquity? Because the Bible says, sin disturbed relations. Sin disturbed relations. Sin disturbed relations. So I'll ask the question. Because sin disturbed relations and Jesus came and died 
for our sins. Does that mean that men no longer have sin in their flesh? Still sin exists in the flesh. But all of us look to getting perfected even in our flesh as we are in the spirit. Are you hearing me? As we are in the what? In the spirit. We seek perfection in the flesh as we are in the what? In the spirit. Now, you discover that sin was a hindrance to man's relationship with God. Again, I ask, has sin totally left our flesh? No. Many of us are still struggling with one thing or two. Then why is it then that you are still in relationship with God? Or what would guarantee that you have a relationship with God? If sin is still in your flesh or your body. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you trying to understand what I'm saying? If sin is still in your body, how then do you still have relationships with God? Yet man, from the time of the fall, something was disconnected from God and man. Man started to die that day. And the Bible says death reigns because of sin. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, this is because when we talk about the doctrine of sin, it's more than the works of the flesh. It is elevated even to the consciousness of the man. Jesus said that if a man looks at a woman lustfully, huh? the Bible says that man has committed adultery already in his heart. And much as he did not physically go out to relate with this woman, before God, he has committed what? Adultery. So sin is not just what we see in the physical body, in the flesh. Sin begins with a conscience that is defiled against God. That is why no sin exists in the present and future of a man. As long as it becomes sin, it's already in the past tense. Because it's not sin until it is committed. Are you hearing me? And I'm not just talking about the sin committed in the flesh. I'm talking about that which is also done in your thoughts. Hello? Who is following what I'm saying? So if I have thought to hate my brother, the Bible says I have murdered him. And that means... The fact that I've thought to hate my brother and I murder him at that particular point, sin goes into my past. It's not in my present and my future. There is no provision under any law, both eternal, earthly, and under earth, right? That understands, provides for sin in the future or in the present. Even that which men do in the present has already been conceived in the past. Because it did not begin when you did it in the flesh. It began when your mind conceived of conscience to sin against God. Who has understood what I just said? So, sin is not in the realm of the present. And it's not in the realm of the future. Are you hearing me? And so, if you understand that, then how do you connect this to the language of the spirit? 
How do you connect this to the language of God? Touching sin. Yes, there is sin and activities of sin in the flesh. But then how do we deal with a conscience? How do we deal with that thing, that thought inside the man that looks at the woman lustfully? Because God is saying that's where actually sin began. It did not begin when this man carried through his plan if he intends to go further than just thinking lustfully on that woman. But even if he does not pursue that plan, he has already sinned before God. You understand what I'm saying? Because the conscience has been awakened to evil and it is defiled in thought. Are you hearing me? Oh yes, people are in prisons now because they are under arrest for committing murder. Okay? But the Bible says that he that hateth his brother murders him. So are all murderers in prison? No. But the thought that because this man physically killed a person, he is more to be judged than the man who killed in the mind is where the problem of the world is. <laughs> Before God, those two things are one and the same. That's why Jesus says, whosoever hated his brother, he said, is a murderer. And he says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. So, if no murderer has eternal life, and I have hated my brother, I am a murderer. That's, that's the difference between sin and crime. The church addresses sin. The world addresses crime. Did you understand what I'm saying? The church addresses sin. The world addresses what? Crime. But before God, these two men are one. They're murderers. So Jesus starts to bring a conversation. God is trying to bring us to the conversation of what you see in the manifestation of your body as sin and what defiles your conscience as sin. Okay, you have not killed physically. Okay, you have not committed adultery physically. Are you hearing me? Or you have not done anything physically. So what about the conscience? What is the difference between the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of goats and rams and calves? The blood of goats, rams and calves was to the purification of the flesh. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11. He says, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither, listen, by the blood of goats huh, and calves, but by his own blood, okay, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And he says, verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purification of the flesh. Did you see that? 
So the blood of goats, the blood of bulls, it sanctifies to the purification of the flesh. Also, if the flesh is purified, then what happens to the conscience? That means it can only deal with what I have in the flesh here and make sure that I am forgiven in what I've done in the flesh. But I still bear a conscience before God that still has questions and it's enough for the man which is after the Adamic nature because that man's spirit is not active. He's a living soul. The Bible says, and God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. So everything that he alludes to is in the pendulum of the soul and the flesh, of the soul and the flesh. So if he needs sanctification, his quickest awakening is to the weakness of the flesh. But when the flesh is forgiven, when the flesh is purified, when the flesh is sanctified, the mind isn't, the conscience isn't. And if the conscience isn't, it means that he is prone to the very mistake of the flesh. So if the sin of the flesh is purified, then what purifies the sin of the conscience? And so these were men who had purifications in the flesh, but dead consciences. Because they were of the fallen nature. Thanks be to God. Because it says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth and purifies the flesh, how much more, verses 14, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works and to serving the living God. When you understand this mystery, you will know why some people are gifted and others are ministers. You know, there are people who are gifted. But there are also people who are both gifted and ministers. And you can be gifted yet not a minister. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is what separates the servant of God and the busybody. They are not busybodies because they are not doing the right thing in the house of God. But they are busybodies because their consciences are not aligned to the mind of God. They don't understand the language of God in the new birth, in the new creation reality. They are not established in the present truth. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says that I'll not be negligent to put you in remembrance always of these things, even though you know them and ye are established in the present truth. Because the flesh is easily purified even by the blood of animals. But the blood of the Christ, which carried no spot, offered himself to the cleansing, to the purification of the conscience. Because he knew that if the conscience is still stuck in the past sin, it will never serve God. Who has understood what I just said? Before Jesus came, the high priest, you know the story well, used to go into the Holy of Holies every year. And without blood, the Bible says, went he not. But the Bible says he went to offer blood for the heir of the people and himself too. Because he would err. And so every time a high priest entered into the Holy of Holies, 
he was dealing with a sin issue. That is the power of sin. That if it clings on the conscience of a man, every time that man goes in the presence, he is awakened to his past, not his present or future. And if a man is always in the presence of God and every time he comes into the presence of God, he's looking to his past, he'll never have a vision for his future. If you've understood it, child, amen. Because if you know that sin is in the realm of the past, it's in the past chronos, right? It's in the timing of the past. It's not in the present and the future. Because it's only sin, only when it is done, either by thought or action. You understand what I'm saying? And so, was the high priest going in the Holy of Holies concerning Israel's future? The high priest always went into the presence of God concerning Israel's past. Because there is an understanding that if that past is not fixed, they don't have a promise for the future. And so a man goes into the deepest presence of God and the consciousness that is there is the past. The moment he would go and offer up the blood of the animals and the cleansing is done, the sanctification is done, and they are sure that God has covered the sin, the Bible says he would come out and tell them, you know, it is well with you. Why? Because they are living in a constant life that cannot not oppose God. And so we'd rather we oppose, we do everything funny, something is cleansed every year, and then we start a new slate, and then we fill it up and then again it's cleansed every year. And then we start a new slate and then we mess up again and then it's cleansed every year. And so that means every time we come in contact with the highest measure of the presence of God, we are trying to deal with past stories to remove all we can until the next time when we heap up more so he can cover more. So when will he ever tell them, about the deep things of the spirit? When will he ever tell them about the dimensions of the spirit? When will he ever tell them about Sophia, the wisdom, Sunesis and Phronesis? When will he ever tell them the way of the spirit? When will he ever give them purpose way bigger than sin? Nothing. And so the highest level of fulfillment was a man whose sin was purged, yet the conscience stayed dead. Until he fills up enough sin for God again to come and cover. And that's the life. That's the life. That is why when you read the Bible and understand God's intention for Jesus Christ coming. For why Jesus came. You'd know what to do when you are in the presence of God. But there are many people every time they are in the presence of God. They relate with a New Testament God in an Old Testament mentality. Every time they come in the presence of God, they come with an Old Testament understanding in a New Testament reality. And so many of you, there is no way you can connect to the presence of God and come out with something. Not everybody who is exposed to the presence of God has answers from the presence. Not everybody who has access to the presence, which you all do by faith. For by faith we have access. We have access with boldness. We have access through faith, right? He says whom we have access by faith into this grace. We all have access. But 
Even though all of us have access and the veil was torn in two, two, it was rent and all of us have access in the presence of God. There are people who have access and come out with results. And there are people who have access and their lives have never changed. They pray every day, but their lives have never changed. They're on every overnight, but their lives have never changed. They're in every breakthrough conference, but their lives have never changed. And sadly, because of the foundation of Africa, our roots are traditional. They are witchcraft. They are superstitious. Are you hearing me? They're everything you know. We knew how to move in the spirit even before the Bible came and the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? And so our genes have adopted and mutated into generations that are sensitive to the spirit realm. And because we are awakened to the spirit realm, we lose the mind that should attend firstly to the reality of the word and we instead go firstly to the supernatural. Who is a man of God in our dispensation? A man of God is someone who can cast out a devil, who can cleanse a leper, who can prophesy, who can heal a sick person. That's a man of God. He first does that, then he has the opportunity to teach. We have it all wrong. A man of God is a man of God because he can reveal Christ through the word. Firstly. That is why even folk who are not born again are men of God. Even funny spirits now that are not called even of God, they are now in the body of Christ and they are also demonstrating power and calling themselves men of God. Today, men can even gamble because people are too desperate to access a God who cannot speak except he speaks only to one man. And is dead to them. What's the difference between you and those who worship Krishna? Krishna is just put there. They see him, he doesn't talk. You understand what I'm saying? The God you worship talks. And he is not attuned to only talk to the man talking to you. He can talk to you also. Somebody shout amen. And so the challenge we have is, we put the spectacular demonstrative power first. And then we can hear the word. You can't demonstrate power, you can't preach the word. Now Satan has understood. So he brings them a sort of fake power because by believing that power, they can believe his nonsense. God is raising a movement that you firstly have to convince by revelation. If Christ is revealed and you can reveal Christ to them, then do anything you want, they will follow you. But if your gifting and anointing cannot equate to the expected level of revelation in God, then you have a problem. Why? Because knowledge is increasing. He did not say gifts shall be increased. He said knowledge shall be increased. He did not say healings will be increased. He said knowledge shall be increased. He did not say prophecies will increase. He says knowledge shall be increased. Once knowledge is increased, then everything else can increase 
to the proportion of the increase in knowledge. If my knowledge in God cannot be justified by demonstration, I have a problem. But if my demonstration in God cannot be justified by the spirit of revelation operating on my life, I have a bigger problem. Because the question is, under what spirit are you functioning man of God? Why would he tell you everything except the book of Romans? Why would you know everything in the world except the doctrine? Somebody shout hallelujah. Jesus said, when you know my doctrine, you will know of me. No man claims to know God and does not know the doctrine of God. It's not possible. Doctrine is the primary qualifier of knowledge in God. Praise God. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so I'm not against the power of God and what God can do. Oh, we are going to see more than the people before us have seen. Oh, my goodness. If you think you have seen, you will see. But also, we will know more. Somebody shout hallelujah. Say amen. So, the blood of the living Christ, he says, this is to the purging of your conscience. Does that mean that Satan will never bring a thought for you to a lust or to hate? He will. But if you are trained in the understanding, this particular understanding, a purged conscience reacts differently from temptation from a conscience that is not purged. It reacts differently from a conscience that is not purged, that is not cleansed, that is not sanctified, that is not purified. That is not purified. The beginning of a purged conscience, a cleansed conscience, a sanctified conscience, is in the faith of what God has done through Christ. And to that end, that the believer kills his conscience Firstly, toward the nature, even before the action. And yet, he has to kill the conscience even to the action of it. But you begin with purging your nature. And what do I mean by purging your nature? If any man be in Christ, any, whether he's just born again now, or whether he has walked with God for 30 years, if any man be in Christ, he says they are a new word, creation. All things are passed away. Are you hearing me? And all things are new. And all things, he says, are of God. And he continues to say, sin disturbed relations. Now here he says, who has reconciled us to himself? Now, we are not at loggerheads with God. We are in the reconciliation to God by Jesus. And he says, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So if I don't understand reconciliation, I cannot minister. I don't care how gifted you are. You're not a minister when you have not understood this reconciliation. And he continues to say in the next line, to wit, 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And he says in the next verse, now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled unto God. If you don't understand that reconciliation, you don't have a message. Am I making sense? Now, whether you are preaching faith, faith is supposed to be preached in the reconciliation. Whether you're preaching financial freedom, financial freedom is supposed to be preached in the reconciliation. Whether you're talking of breakthrough, breakthrough is supposed to be preached in the reconciliation. Whether you're talking of deliverance, deliverance is supposed to be preached in the reconciliation. Whether you're talking of the sin principle or righteousness imputed, it's supposed to be preached in the cusp of reconciliation. Any man that preaches out of that reconciliation is not ministering. Paul, the minister, does not place himself as one seeking reconciliation in this narrative. No, he is already reconciled. His conversation is of a reconciled man. His conscience is of a reconciled man. He says, ah, now we are ambassadors. Now we also ask you, who are not yet reconciled, be ye reconciled unto God. Because for us, we have been reconciled through Christ. And because I'm reconciled, I'm one with God. That is why he says, for this new creation, all things are of God. Now, you have a new conscience. And that conscience is purged. And because it is purged, like all other things that are on you that are of God, it means you cannot be sin conscious anymore. Because the conscience now is of God. And if the conscience is of God, God is not sin conscious. You cannot be sin conscious. Now when you say that, some people say, ah, he tells people to continue sinning. Foolish. Listen. The scripture says that the fool says there is no what? There is no God. But the literal translation is supposed to be the fool says no to God. When a man says that grace, the message, sets men against God, then he doesn't understand grace. That is not grace. Grace is a reconciliation. And neither can grace tell a man to continue sinning. Because that man has a new conscience. So how can a conscience that is dead to sin be provoked by a message into sin? It's not possible. But God knew that the conscience has to be purged for the flesh to be dealt with. Who has understood what I said? That's why I used to sing. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching Because they believe they are saints who march. So are they saints because of what you see physically? Or they are saints because their consciences have received sainthood? Paul writes to the saints that are scattered, to the saints. Now, when he says to the saints, does he first go through every one of them to make sure that everything in their lives is okay? 
You know, some ministers are so contradictory. Somebody say something like, you know, saints, we are all sinners. You understand? <laughs> Look at such a conscience. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. One young man was preaching one day and he says, there are people who are called to be saints. There are people. No. Every believer is called to be a saint. Somebody say hallelujah. So those of them who are against the grace message, but their churches are writing saints. So I don't get it. How can you be against the message yet even the names of your ministries are saints? In fact, some churches are all saints. <laughs> there is no sinner. That's a good name for a ministry. I say that's a good name for a church. All saints. No sinner. Conscience. That's a good name. That's a good name. Tell anybody that's a good name. Listen. Your body will never agree when your conscience is defiled. Your body will never agree where your conscience is opposed. The conscience is first awakened and then the body responds to the conscience. And a conscience can be exercised. Every time you sin conscience, you are past conscience. Every time you God conscience, you are future conscience. Paul had that woe even in himself. He says one thing that I strive for is to forget the things that are past behind me and I focus and set myself on things which are before me. This is Paul. He says forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before me. He says I have not yet apprehended. I'm not yet there. What does the message version say? He says friends don't get me wrong. He says, by no means do I count myself an expert in all this. He says, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. Onward to Jesus. Backward to sin and the past. Onward to Jesus. And because Satan knows that, that if a man goes backward, it comes to him. Many people are sin conscious. Many preachers are sin conscious. They don't know the difference between the message on a crusade and the message for a believer. When we are talking to the crusade people, we are telling them to be reconciled. When we come to church, we are speaking to men which are reconciled. So we cannot preach a reconciling message to the reconciled. That is going back to come in front and then going back to come in front. You understand what I'm saying? But to the world which is not born again, we preach the law. We can tell him that you're going to die because he's not in the covenant. And that by everything we show him what grace is and tell him, but you don't have to be reconciled. Are you hearing me? But we which are reconciled, our ministry, pastors, is reconciliation. Whatever you preach to the body must be reconciled. As though speaking to the reconciled. Are you hearing me? And so you might find that in this ministry, 
We don't talk about what you should not do. Don't do this. No, no. We talk about who you are. Because we are talking to your conscience. And as your conscience continues to believe this, you will see that your body has no choice. Has no choice. You'll be so dead to the conscience of the flesh that the day even that sin leaves your flesh, you'll not notice at first. Because it wasn't a war. It was a victory assured in Christ. When you understand that thing, you realize that nothing can stick on you. It lives. And when it does, you easily look to God, toward Jesus. You're toward God. You understand what I'm saying? Religion. Re. Legion. Re. The prefix. John. Back to bondage. Are you hearing me? Religion will never let go of a man's past. What you were in 2007 is what a religious person thinks you were up to now. Are you hearing me? One time one guy was preaching. He said, for me, the story about David that catches me is when he killed a man, I said, of everything David would teach you, of anything David would have taught you, you're stuck in his killing of Rhea. Yet God even left. Because if God doesn't kill that past, he will not relate with you. Why? Because every time you'll come in the presence, you'll come with a past. And because you'll come with a past, the only way God can deal with it is by destroying it. That's why the word redemption also means as one who has never done it. Hey, hey. Somebody shout amen. Say I'm a fruit of redemption. Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 33. Give me the amplified. He says, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their hearts will I write it and I will be their God and they will be my people. And because there is no division, we are reconciled. He says, and they will no more teach each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me, recognize, understand, and be acquainted with me from the least of them to the greatest because the reconciliation has taken place, says the Lord. For, he says, I will forgive their iniquity. I love the next line. And he says, and I will seriously remember their sin no more. Somebody said amen. amen. So the issue of God refusing to bring up your past is a serious issue. He doesn't joke in it. He doesn't even play with it. He is serious. When it comes to your past, he says, He says, I'll remember it no more. What does the message version say? The message version say they will no longer go around setting up schools to teach each other about God. He says they'll know me firsthand, the dull and the bright, the 
the smart and the slow. He says, I will wipe the slate clean for each of them. I will forget they ever sinned. So, who then brings up your past? How dare somebody open up a story about you, about what you did last week? Who are they if God is seriously forgotten it? That's the devil. Listen, never let anyone bring up your past, comma, or any other believer's past. Tell them, let's talk the present. Where are they with God? Let's talk the future. What plans does he have for them? He says, for I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to make you prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future. That hope, that expected end. Construct your ministry around the future of men, not their past. You know, many years ago, people used to say, you can't change your past, but you can change your future. Ah, wrong. You can change your past. Consciousness. So if somebody says, you remember what you did last day when you say, I don't remember. And you're not wrong not to remember. Because God doesn't. I wish you see what the devil is looking like in hell right now. He's annoyed right now. He wants to jump up and hang somebody on a tree. But oh devil, we know your tricks. We are not ignorant of your devices. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Chikurume. And as the consciousness comes, you'll start to see your flesh coming to order. The things you thought can never leave you. Addictions. You start to see them leave. Things you never thought can come out of your life. They start coming out. Why? Because you're looking to Jesus. Which is the author and the finisher of your faith. If he began it, he will surely accomplish it. Somebody shout hallelujah. So stop narrating about people's pasts. And refuse to be judged by your past. Refuse. But I also must warn you. This works for a man who can tell the difference. Between what is wrong and what is right. Because we have people who are stuck in their past. Not because people judge them for it. But because they are justifying what is wrong. To know what to do and not to do it is sin. I hope you have understood what I'm trying to tell you. Yes, we are not going to count you on your past. And that's how your life is supposed to be. Are you hearing me? But keep the God consciousness. Refuse to be conscious of sin. Every time you get in the presence of God, and you're conscious to sin, you'll enter like the priest in the Old Testament. Every time you enter in the presence of God, God conscious, you'll enter like a new creation. And you'll have the full benefits of the new creature. 
No miracle in the world fascinates me. Like the first miracle Jesus did. Because in that miracle, Jesus redeemed time and arrested eons. He arrested the ages. He says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Jesus arrested the ages. He arrested the power of age. He arrested the power of time. That is why in the book of Revelation, the Bible gets to the end even of time and it says, the mystery of time shall be no more. Because men will transcend even that. No, listen, John 2 begins with the stories in a wedding in Cana. And they run out of wine, isn't it? And when they do, Mary comes and tells him, oh, Jesus, there's no wine. What has that got to do with me? Woman, no, it's not thou, that is not yet my kairos, my time of the appointed time of the spirit to do miracles. It wasn't the timing of the spirit. Oh, she turns to the servants, do what he tells you to do. He tells them, look, fill these jars with what? With water. You remember the story? And when they fill them with, they tell them, go and serve the what? The wine. And when they do, the Bible says the master, the ruler of the feast, when he had tested the water that was made wine, he knew not whence it was, but servants which drew the water knew, and the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said unto him, every man, listen, at the beginning that set forth firstly good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Pause. What makes wine good? Aging. Right? Now, if you go Google to know how wine is made, you will know that at least to make wine, you need firstly the first two weeks of fermentation. And then after that, it needs to be kept for a couple of weeks. Wine does not even have a test until the beginning of the first maybe two months of it. That's when it can try to have flavor and taste. And so it's advisable that it's kept for a long time. The longer the wine is kept in the right atmosphere, the better the flavors, are you hearing me? The better the taste, or what does someone understand where I'm going? The better the everything. Okay? Now, if Jesus turned that water into wine and it was sour, we would know, yes, it was a miracle, but he had not power to affect the eons, to affect the ages. But when the Bible says that this wine is good, it means not only did he have power to change wine, he also aged it. I said he did not only have power to turn water into wine, that was enough a miracle, but he also aged it that the drinker said, this wine is good. Are you following me? Question. Now, if God can go in the past and change the flavor and taste of wine, what about a believer? <laughs> no, no, let me ask you again. If God can turn water into wine and then go back in its past and give it a taste and a flavor, do you think it's impossible for him to go into your past and erase everything you did and its consequence? Who has understood what I'm saying? If God can age, that means 
The effect of the miracle of God is not subject to even the past. It can go in the past and change its taste and flavor. That means God can even go into what you did in 2012 and change it and remove it and put a delete key. Shift delete. It even bypasses the recycle bin. That is what he has done in Jesus. <laughs> Somebody shout amen. So glory to God. Your past is clean. I said your past is clean. <laughs> Consciousness. And because of that, when I get in the presence of God, I'm wide awake, drawing close by grace, and all my heart is yours. All fears removed, I breathe you in and lead into your Somebody raise your voice and thank God for His grace. Just thank Him for grace. The second verse says, When I'm lost, you pursue me. Lift my head to see your glory, Lord of all. So beautiful. Hearing you shelter captivated by the splendor of your faith my secret is wide awake drawing close step by grace and all my heart is yours oh fear I breathe you in, I lean into your love. That's the power of this message. One man sang. Before the throne of Carnival, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love whoever leaves and pleads for me not judges me whoever leaves and pleads for me because of that my name is great on his heart No tongue can beat me thus deeper. No tongue can beat me. When Satan, when Satan tempts me to despair, the 
Jesus before him. Are you hearing me? and under the law cannot see the power of God because they don't behold God they behold their past it's like being in the presence of God God is here and you're like this Father I worship you I worship you Jesus you're holy have you seen his holiness? you're holy it can't, it's not possible 
thank God for grace. Just thank God. Thank God. And that is why I decree upon you that he that began that good work in your life will perfect you. Your flesh will break every day for the will of God. Addictions will flee. Weaknesses will flee. Any such thing that is evil, it shall be destroyed out of your body because your conscience is aligned to the finished work of Christ at the cross at Calvary. Sin will not have dominion in your life because you are not under the law but under grace. Every time you enter the presence of God, you will be God conscious, new creation conscious. All things are of God conscious. A reconciled man consciousness. And as you maintain that reconciliation, you'll start to see weaknesses leave you. You'll start to see evil leave. You'll start to see the defilements of the flesh leave effortlessly because it's not in God to be and so it's not in you also. Give him a mighty hand of praise. Sickness is not your portion. You have a good week in the name of Jesus. You have a wonderful year in the name of Jesus. This is your year of redeeming things. Praise God. And as you are redeemed by God, so things are going to be redeemed for you. Things are going to come back. People have given me testimonies. People are giving me testimonies of things that are just coming and coming. And they just don't stop coming. And we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Praise God. If you've never given your life to Christ and you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior, say, Lord Jesus, tonight I believe you and I confess you as one who died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Today I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.